You know, it really is an awesome thing to stand right here on this spot. It's awesome. Sacred. I, th- I think about all the important things that take place here on this spot. This is the cross right here, symbolizing the love, the love that God has for you and that God has for me. You know, standing at this spot, every Sunday we celebrate communion. Uh, standing on this spot this morning, we, we prayed for children going to kindergarten. Standing on this spot, we dedicate children. Standing on this spot, we marry people. Last night, two friends of mine who don't attend church here, Justin and Meriden, were married on this spot. Neither one of them uh, attend church. They're wonderful people attend church right now. I looked at them and I told them, I said, this is a sacred spot where you're getting married. People get married here frequently. I've done lots of weddings here. And this is all about love. And this church is all about love. And I looked at them and I said, I said, one thing is true. I know this is true, that, that love is behind everything, is the source of everything. That God is a God of love. And I know that God brought you two together to be married on the spot. And then I get to stand here every Sunday and share the word of God, that God loves you. And that's powerful. This is a a beautiful and sacred spot. And from this spot this morning, I I want to share this truth with you. The truth is that God, that God is not ashamed to be identified with the parts of you that you want to hide. Can I say that one more time? That God is not ashamed to be identified with the parts of you that you want to hide. Because there is nothing in your life that is bigger than God's love for you. For as Paul said in his letter to the Romans, that there is nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God that is ours in Jesus Christ. That's why we can come before God and worship God with an honest and open heart. The Psalms, the Psalms are prayers. The Psalms are prayers that were written by people. They're honest prayers, expressions of hope and fear and doubt and disappointment and struggle and worry and all of those things. And if the psalmist, the Psalms teach us anything, it, it encourages us to be real before God because God, because God can handle it. God can handle it. God can handle who you are. There's nothing in your life that you have to hide from God because God's love is bigger than whatever it is that you want to hide. And when you bring it out into the open before God, God can bring hope to it. God can bring light to it. God can bring healing to it. God can bring his love to it. Y'all believe that? Yeah, because, because God is, because God is a God of love. And what that means is we can trust God with our fear when we're afraid. Anybody here ever afraid? Yeah. Some of you are too afraid to raise your hand right now. <laughs> because, 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 because everyone, everyone's afraid. 24 years ago, 24 years ago, uh, this week was a really big week for Teresa and I. I'll never forget, 24 years ago, I was given the simple assignment of transporting the bridesmaids dresses from one location to another I was also given the responsibility of putting my soon-to-be stepdaughter Rebecca who was about eight at the time in the back of the car and carrying her with the bridesmaids 
addresses to a new location. She brought along with a friend of hers, and I said, you know, you want your stepdaughter to like you, so you bribe them with sugary substances. So I said, let's go get some snow cones. It is not a good thing when you're about to be married and you put your daughter-to-be and her friend in the back seat of a car with strawberry snow cones and bridesmaids dresses. I don't know how they spilt it on the dresses. You know, we've been married for 24 years and I'm still spilling stuff everywhere around the house. It was a great week. We, we, we got married uh, 24 years ago on the 13th, which is tomorrow, and uh, we got married at our church, and it was a real simple affair, and it was an exciting time for us. We, we, we got married, and then we went downstairs, and it was a, here's a, let me tell you, here's the best way to, to have an affordable wedding. Make it a potluck. <laughs> <laughs> it was a potluck. My mother-in-law made the wedding cake, and... Uh, <laughs> And a, a friend of Teresa's made the groom's cake. It was a Bible, which was a little bit odd. So we were eating the Bible, eating the Word of God. <laughs> that was a little bit odd. And uh, it was an exciting time for us because we got married. And a week later, we, we packed up everything. We moved to Texas. And I started a new church in the Houston area. And it was really exciting. New house, new home, new family, everything. everything. It was exciting. And I'll never forget this moment though we had a two-story home and I looked up and I saw my daughter on the day before her first day of school and she was sitting on the stairs and I walked up to her and sat down on the stair below her and she had she was crying and I said what's wrong she said I'm scared I don't know anybody. It's a new school. I'm scared. Let me ask you a question. What, 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 are you, what are you scared of? What's frightening you at this moment? Sometimes it's something that's happening to us. There's some uncertainty. And then sometimes, sometimes it's something that we're being asked to do, something that's new. You know, that's what life is. Life, there are moments in our life when we're overwhelmed by problems, we're overwhelmed by trouble, we're overwhelmed by worry, we're overwhelmed by fear. You know, maybe we're facing surgery. Um, maybe we have a loved one who is having surgery and we're worried about that. Maybe we lost a loved one and we're trying to figure out how to live without the loved one. Maybe there's some performance thing we're trying to do at work and we're not sure we can live up to it because we're not sure it's in us to do it. Maybe it's just uncertainty about your purpose in the world. Maybe it's God has put a dream on your heart and you're not sure you can do it. I'll tell you a moment in my life. I, I mean, I was really afraid. I was a really, I've, I've said this before, I was a terrible, terrible student in high school. And then I got called to ministry. And after I got called to ministry, I soon found out that that meant uh, an undergraduate degree and it meant a master's degree. Now here was a person who did not like school, was suddenly facing seven years of school to accomplish the dream God had from my heart. And I tell you, I spent that first semester and second semester absolutely paralyzed by fear, worried I was going to fail because, you know, my parents had sent me, we were paying tuition, would I be able to do it? And it was hard. And it seemed like school was a lot easier for everybody else around me. 
And I remember getting back my first paper that I turned into my English professor, and it was so covered in red. Actually, the title was My Dog Fred, which is not a good sign when you're a freshman writing your first English composition. Write about my dog Fred. And uh, I was in trouble. I was in, you know, I was in high weeds. And I was telling a professor about this, about how, how scared I was, and I'll never forget the conversation. He said, David, you're supposed to be here. He said, you need to ask yourself this question. Are you going to be paralyzed by fear or empowered by your faith? It's a choice. He said, fear closes doors, faith opens doors. Fear cuts off possibilities, faith opens possibilities. And he looked at me and he said, David, I'll tell you what will change the whole way you think about this thing. Quit worrying about failing. And start worrying instead about learning and growing and, and opening your mind. And I'll tell you what, it just absolutely changed the way I thought of education as being a student. Because I, instead of worrying about failure, which was my focus, I just started focusing on my curiosity. What makes me curious? What has God asked me to do? What can I learn? Start asking questions. And school became exciting. It was like this whole world opened to me of possibilities and dreams. And I became a lifetime student because of that one conversation. I know that right now in this room, there are people who are waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat because you're, you're fearful. I know that some of you woke up this morning and instead of getting out of bed, you wanted to just pull the covers up over your head and not face the day. Everyone, everyone's afraid. So I'm going to give you a gift. Not my gift, it's a gift of David. Let, let me tell you what David says about fear. Psalm 27. This, is, this, is a, 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 this should be on your mixtape. Okay? Here's what David says about fear. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Look at what David is focusing on, that God is light, that God is salvation. In light of who God is, who should I be afraid of? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Another word there might be using the word, the Lord is my fortress. Of whom shall I be afraid? And in verse 2, then he says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Now, when you read that, you think, I don't have any enemies. I'm not a soldier in the midst of a fight. I don't have people who are betraying me. But just put trouble and hardship in there. Now, David had real enemies, but when you read this passage, look at, you know, when problems advance against me, when there is trouble and hardship all around me, though I feel overwhelmed and surrounded by all this stuff, that's what he's talking, when I feel like there is a war breaking out against me, and I'll tell you, sometimes, you know, sometimes where that battle's fought, sometimes that battle is not fought outside of ourselves no 
is the battle on the inside of us, the battle that takes place in our mind. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Maybe, God, I'm ashamed of myself. The need to hide who we really are. Sometimes the biggest enemy is our own selves and the way that we think about ourselves. And I love what David says here about fear and about those moments in life we feel surrounded. David has confidence in God. Confidence in the Lord. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my stronghold. Why should I be afraid? When trouble surrounds me, when everyone is turned against me, when I feel like I am overwhelmed by difficulty in life, and I love this phrase, even then, even then, even then, I will be confident. Now, he's not saying I won't have problems. He's not saying I won't be surrounded. He's saying even then. Everybody here needs to get some even then. Anybody need some even then? Anybody here need a little bit of confidence? Anybody facing something where a little confidence would help you? Now, let me tell you something. These were not words written by somebody in an ivory tower. You go, well, well that, that David, he was in the Bible. He, he didn't have any real problems, did he? Oh, man. David got a Ph.D. in the school of adversity. Let me list a few of his problems over the span of his lifetime. He lived a long life. He was the king of Israel. When he was a boy, he was a shepherd, and he was left out in the field by himself with his sheep. He was the youngest of all his brothers. And there he had to deal with wild animals that threatened his sheep. Then at one point he was anointed to be king over Israel. He was the youngest of all the sons. Can you imagine how scary that was? Shepherd to king. Then one moment he was standing in the middle of a valley in front of a giant three times his size who was holding a mighty sword and all he had was a few handful of rocks and a sling. Then he was brought into the household of Saul, who was the great king of Israel, and Saul became threatened of David and attempted to kill him. And in the earliest part of David's life as a young man, he had to live on the run. He had to live in the desert, deprived of food. He had to live in the wilderness. He had to live under the harshest conditions and watch out for every moment of his life because he had a, the most powerful man in his world wanted him dead. And then after he became king, it was one assault after another from the Philistines' army who threatened David. And then if he didn't have enough external enemies, he had enemies of his own within himself. David, a moment of weakness in his life, had an affair with another man's wife, uh, put the man on the front line of a battle, uh, the man ended up getting, did that to cover it up. He had his men pull back. The man got killed. He didn't kill him, but he led to the man's death. Then he tried to cover it up. And then God sent a prophet to him to confront him about his behavior. And David was brought to his knees. And by the way, he then wrote Psalm 51 about that experience about his confession and repentance. Talk about adversity. And then it gets worse. In his own family, one son raped a daughter and then David didn't handle it very well and that then led to revolt the consequences of his actions of his affair what happened with his son and his daughter 
The consequences of his actions led to a betrayal within his own family. And then his own son attempted to take the throne away from him. And then at the end of his life, he was forced to be a fugitive in the desert on the run again, living in caves. Now, this was not written by someone who had a charm life. This was not written by someone who was born on third base. This was written by someone who had seen it all, been through it all. We think we got problems. We think we have trouble. He had a lifetime of trouble. And yet David was able to write these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my stronghold. When enemies advance against me, even then, even then, I'll be confident. Now, one of the things we learn, we learn from David, from this, this psalm, we learn from David, is that your faith may not make your life easier. In fact, your faith may make your life harder. Because if God asks you to do something, you can expect there to be obstacles. God doesn't ask people to take on easy tasks. Your faith may not make your life easier, but it will make you stronger. Anybody need to be a little bit stronger? Anybody here this morning need some confidence? So, you heard the story of a little girl sitting on the steps afraid to go to school. Let me tell you about that little girl who's now a grown girl, my daughter, and about another little girl. Let me show a picture of her. So we get married, and uh, 24 years later, we now have her, Addison Grace Meredith. And uh, this is a big week for her because she's going to a brand new school. She's going to Tully Elementary. She transferred, her mom transferred from another school to that school, and she's starting a new school. And, you know, she's nervous, as you can imagine. And she called me and she said, Poppy, I want to join the cross-country team at Tully. <laughs> Wonder where she got that from. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, what do you have to do? She said, I have to run 10 minutes without stopping to make the team. Think about it. That's not easy, is it, to run 10 minutes without stopping? She's going to be in second grade. I said, well, come on over to the house, and I'll run with you, and we'll see how far you can run without stopping. So she came over to the house, and it's pretty funny to see a 6'3 person running with a small person. <laughs> and uh, so, so we, we took off running, and basically it was me. Just, and she's going, like this. So... After she, she did it, and she actually ended up, she ran for 10 minutes. We stopped, and she ran a mile. It took her 12 minutes to do it. I was pretty impressed. But the, the way she was able to complete it is because I kept saying to her, you can do it, you can do it. Well, my side hurts, my side hurts. It's a side stitch. Just put your hands up, put your hands down, put your hands up, put your hands down. Got her through it. So then the next day, she has the trial. I mean, she, one day, she, never, she has to do the trial. And I didn't take into account that there were hills involved. So I look out, I'm standing with my daughter, and I'm looking at her, and there are 40 or 50 kids at this thing. 
She's the only one that has track, but she hasn't been there. She didn't know what was going on. She just shows up. I look at her, and she is standing out in the middle of the field like this. Kids are running around, and she's crying. She didn't know what to do. She didn't know anybody. So Rebecca said, look, do something. <laughs> so, so I walked out in the middle of the field and just started doing the exercises. Come on, let's do this, you know. And then you get to see her confidence growing. Somebody was helping her. Poppy was with her, helping her. We're going to do it. And then I went up to the coach and I said, well, this is my granddaughter, Addie. She's supposed to try out today. And she said, that's okay. I'm going to run with her to see that she can do it. Well, I said, well, she did 10 minutes yesterday. I know she can do it today. And she could tell I'm pressing, right? And I, she said, why don't you run with her? I go, yes. Because <laughs> I, knew, I knew she couldn't make it unless I ran with her. Well, two or three minutes, she's like wanting to quit. She's like breathing real heavy. Her side hurts. She's up and down hills. And when the coach wasn't looking, I grabbed her hand and pulled her along. <laughs> I, did, I, did it three, I did it three times. They don't know we cheated. She, she completed it. She completed it. She got it done. And I thought she was going to throw up. And then I got I just flashback. 24 years earlier, here I am again, and I get down on my knees in front of her, and I said, I am so proud of you. You're a warrior. You can do it. So proud of you. That was hard. Was it hard? It was, yes, it was hard. And then, you know, if you're a grandparent, you love these moments. I'm walking to my car, and she goes, Poppy, Poppy, Poppy. And I went back to her, and she goes, and you can just see this a little water in her eyes. You know, and she says, thank you for helping me, Poppy. And then we sit down, we took this picture. The next day, she, so she'd never run a mile. She ran one mile on Wednesday. She ran her tryout mile on Thursday. And then she ran her first race on Friday and didn't come in last. Isn't <laughs> that great? The whole, the whole point of that, that silly story, beautiful story about my daughter and granddaughter is that there are these moments in life where we all face uncertainty and trouble. But we all need someone in our life who is light. We all need someone in our life that gives us confidence. We all need someone in our life at some moment that will grab our hand when we can't get up the hill and pull us along. Because there are going to be those moments at every stage in our life. And what David says is this. David, the king, says, and I don't know when he wrote it. I don't know when he wrote that psalm. He wrote it probably at the end of his life, looking at over the entire length of his life. He said, when I was... When I was having, running uphill, when I was under siege, when I was in trouble, when I was afraid, I have learned that I can be confident because I know God is with me. Now, let me tell you what that word confidence means and what it does mean. It's not talking about self-confidence. It's talking about God confidence. It, it's about trust, about trusting someone to grab us by the hand, trusting someone to walk with us, trusting someone to encourage us. 
That, that's what that means. You see, actually, the word confidence in the English translation is a mistranslation of the text, of the, of the Hebrew. The Hebrew word there is actually a word that means trust, and it's kind of interesting. When all these things are happening to me, even then I will trust. And where does confidence come from? The confidence that you need and that I need for this life in God comes from learning that we can trust God. It comes from knowing that we can trust God. What are we doing with our grandkids? They're learning they can trust us. What is God doing with us? We are learning when God takes that we can trust God, and that gives us confidence. And so the confidence that we need for life, the confidence we need to face whatever we need to face in life, is not just pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. It's a confidence found in our relationship with God. And as flawed a human being as David the king was, we, we know this about him. David means a man who has a heart for God. And look in the next verses, and you see the secret to the whole thing. The next few verses, um, in this says, One thing I ask of the Lord. Here's the one thing I ask of the Lord. Here's the one thing I ask of the Lord. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, when it says the house of the Lord, he's not talking about heaven. When it talks about the house of the Lord, he's not talking about a building. Just put the word presence there. One thing I ask is that all the days of my life that I will dwell in the presence of the Lord. And there in the presence of the Lord, I will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and I will seek him. That is the secret to David's life. David was no different than you and me, but where did his confidence come from? Where did his trust come from? His trust came from putting himself and being in the presence of God, allowing God to take his hand, being real before God, sharing his disappointment, his fear, his anxiety, his worry, his mistakes, not being afraid to admit his mistakes, but being honest and real before God and gazing on the beauty of God. I love that because it's not the way that I think. You know, when I am faced or overwhelmed with something, where is my gaze? So often my gaze is on the stuff that's overwhelming me. But David says that when you find yourself in a situation where you're brought to your knees, instead of looking down, look up, look up, look up to the one who is there for us. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his presence. He will hide me in the shadow of his tabernacle, of his presence, and he will set me high on a rock. And I love this next line. He says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. In other words, then I will be able to hold my head high and I will sing and shout with sacrifice of joy. Friends, I'm going to tell you, that's what worship's all about on Sunday morning. Worship on Sunday morning is about people gathering together and saying that God is good. That this hour is not about me. This hour is not about you. This is our hour to gather together and say that we have learned in the midst of all the stuff that happens in our life that God is good. That God is good all the time. That our hope is built in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That our hope is founded upon that rock, upon his presence. And we have learned through all the things in our life that God is good. It's not that I'm good. It's that God 
is good. Great is thy faithfulness. And so we gather in here to sing. It's not to be entertained. It's to lift our voices in praise. That when people look at us, they see our wounds, they see our scars, but they see us lifting our hands and saying that God is good and can be trusted. And we're just, just like a granddaughter looking at her grandfather and saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now look at this last part. Isn't this a good psalm? This is a good psalm. Yeah. He says, and I love this. You think of that at the end of his life. Imagine at the end of his life, all the stuff he's going. He says, I am still confident of all this. That I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. See, when you're in the presence of God, he gives you an abundance mindset. You're able to see opportunities and hope and beauty where others only see ugliness and problems and difficulty. Cory Booker is a United States senator. He's from New Jersey. He's written a book called United. It's a really good book. I usually don't read books by politicians. Nothing wrong with politicians, but... This one really inspired me because it tells a story. Uh, when Cory Booker was first starting out, uh, he moved into Newark, New Jersey, which was uh, a city struggling with a lot of crime and a lot of violence. And he moved into uh, one of the most notorious crime-ridden project, projects that were, were built to house people in the city, but eventually became... Uh, as jobs moved away and the city began to crumble, the infrastructure and jobs and opportunities, and people began to pursue other opportunities to make a life for themselves, selling drugs, violence, crime. So he moved into this place, lived there for eight years. He grew up in a place of privilege um, in a predominantly white neighborhood, moved into this neighborhood, and uh, a black man grew up in a white neighborhood, grew up and went back and lived in this neighborhood, and um, all this violence around him, and grand, gangs and violence and trouble and difficulty. And uh, he met this woman, her name is Virginia Jones. And he was there because he wanted to do something. He wanted to serve. He wanted to give his life what he had this big dream in his heart. Met this woman, this Virginia Jones. Miss Virginia Jones had lived in this, this big housing complex for, for years and years. She was the first person living there. She was the head of the, the homeowners or the tenants association uh, fighting for the rights of the people that lived there. And so she, took, she said, I want to help you. What can I do to help you? I'm a lawyer. How can I help you in your residence? And, uh, and she says, let's walk around. And she said to him, what do you see? He said, I see violence. I see drugs. I see dilapidated. I see, you know, he saw the problems. And Miss Virginia Jones looked at him and said, well, then there's nothing you can do for me. He said, what do you mean? He said, what you see is a reflection of what's inside of you. You can only see what you, what's inside of you. And if all you see is darkness and problems and struggle, then I don't have any use for you. And she turned around and walked off. He basically said the point is, it's about when you have the eyes of faith, you can see God and goodness in everyone. And he said he had to begin to believe, begin to believe, and that when God is a part of your life, when you look at the world from a point of view of faith rather than fear, you begin to see that God is in our world. It 
how you think about things and what you see and learning that God can be trusted that gives us confidence. That's why it says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And my last point, I've already out-preached my time zone. Faith does not always mean that God will change your situation. Sometimes God uses your situation to change you.